The following message was recorded Wednesday, December 6, 2023. Pastor Anthony continues his series, Journey with David. Tonight he covers 2 Samuel 2 verse 12 through chapter 3 verse 1. And now, here's Pastor Anthony. I've been teaching through the journey of David, right? Becoming a king of Saul. But as I was studying the Old Testament, I came across a couple of individuals, commentary that have very limited views on the Old Testament. So this is more just a quick encouragement before we get into it. But Romans 15 tells us these things given to us is to encourage us, right? And these things is the Bible, 66 books. First Corinthians chapter 10 says, we are given examples, real stories, events, people to also warn us. So you can't overshoot and not absorb what the Old Testament is there to give you, right? As I was studying David, everything that I was able to glean from, right, which is a, a harvesting term for collecting bit by bit. So when God, when you come to a Bible study like this, you have your own Bible study at home, you have your own devotion, we have to be able to understand old or new is our heart, our minds prepared to collect and gather what the Lord is going to give to us, right? Coming to a Bible study is great, but if you're not and don't have that mindset to say, okay, Lord, you're going to give me a lesson. What spiritual principles can I take from that today as I journey with you, right? So I, I hope that's an encouragement that regardless of the book that you are in, it's important for a reason. And you have to be able to take a step back and say, okay, Lord, what do you want me to learn from, right, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, you name it. So let's, let's go before the Lord, let's pray, and then we're going to get back into the journey with David. Okay. Thank you, Lord, just for this time. Thank you just for your word, Lord. Thank you for just blessing us and bringing us all together so that we can hear your word. May you prepare our minds and our hearts just to glean from whatever you decide to give to us, whatever we can address and utilize today. Every day brings its challenges, Lord, but your word is, will always meet us at that need. So may we be able to, may you use me, Lord, just to deliver a message that moves somebody or just strengthens them to just fall that much more in love with you. So we praise you, thank you, and just thank you for this time in communion. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So as I said, we're going to go back into the story of David. So, right, let's, let's turn our minds, our hearts, in a sense of what's the Lord going to try to teach us. I always like to go back, right? Being in the children's ministry, I always like to do a refresher, kind of that running start, and then we can continue into picking up in, in the chapters that we need to continue. So going backwards, we know Saul and Jonathan, they've been killed in battle. Philistines and Israel, they were at war. We know that Saul lost his life, Jonathan, and two of his sons. We know that an Amalekite supposedly uh, killed or finished off Saul. We see this Amalekite running to David, and in his hands, he has two things. What does he have in his hands? His crown and a bracelet. Crown and a bracelet. It's proof. Right? Because the king wouldn't be without that type of material. But this Amalekite was hoping to find favor with David. He was, David wasn't Saul's enemy. 
even though these individuals during this time or when we read it, we can come across and get that understanding. But we have to understand Saul was not David's enemy, but David was Saul's enemy. So when we looked at the Amalekites, I said, okay, there's a spiritual analogy there. What did I say it represented? Yes, the flesh. What are we to utterly do to the flesh? Destroy it, right? That's why it was so important to God that Saul execute exactly as he said, because he knew if he left a percentage of individuals left behind, it would come back. The flesh is going to destroy us, and God tells us to put it to death. If we keep allowing and tolerating the flesh, it's always going to come back. It says, make no provisions for the flesh life. Okay, what does provisions mean? Okay, let's say, let's use this example. My birthday, you give me a plant, right? I go, hey, great. I take it home. It needs two things to survive. What are those two things? Water and sunlight. If I give it water and I give it sunlight, it's going to grow. I'm going to have to prune it because it's growing so big. The roots are going to get deep. It might actually eventually grow out the jar that it's in, but it's going to be a strong plant. Now, if I took that same plant and I just locked it in a closet, what's it going to do? Yeah. That's what provisions mean. You can't give any nutrients, any room for the flesh because it's going to thrive with whatever you decide to give it. Flesh, ultimately, all it wants to do is sin. And sin leads to our ruin. But back to the Amalekite, we have to understand that's why it was so important. That's why God pulled that blessing from Saul. But, but that Amalekite was in mourning when he ran to David, right? He had the external expression of mourning, ashes on the head, torn cloth. He comes to David, informs David of the information. We see David mourn, and then we see his men mourn. But remember, David saw Saul as the anointed king of Israel. So he learned to love and respect him. That's why David turned to the Amalekite and said, weren't you afraid to touch God's anointed? David had many opportunities to do the same thing, but out of respect and love for God, he didn't. And David eventually had that Amalekite executed. And before he did, David said, your blood is on your own head for your own mouth has testified against you. So then we see, as we continue to read, David is in mourning and he does the introduction to the song of the bow. Now that was meant as a memorial, as for generations to read, to remember. We read that last time, so obviously it served its purpose. And you see, even with the history with David and Saul, David still wanted to move forward. It said that David lamented for Saul and Jonathan. It says the book of the song of the bow could be found in the book of Yashar. Well, you'd say, well, the book of Yashar, that doesn't necessarily, I don't find that in, in any of the books, any of the 66 books. The book of the Yashar, Yashar holds significant moments in Israel's history. And he wanted Saul and Jonathan's name to remain in that history. And even though it's not mentioned in the canon of scripture, it's still mentioned in the Bible. You have it in Samuel, Joshua 10, 13, and 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. But what was interesting about the Song of the Bow, you'd say, well, gosh, it's so beautiful. It should be a psalm. But when you understand that the composition was a human composition, David wrote it. 
It wasn't necessarily an inspiration by God to be used in a divine service. That's why you don't find it in the Psalms, but that's why you do see it at least listed in Scripture. Now, that's a huge, huge you know, thing that David would do for generations to remember who you are, your name. So this is a question for you, all of us. Why would David do this? Why would David do this for Saul? And that's really a question if you guys just want to throw an answer or two. Why would David do this for Saul? To remember his gen generation over generation. Okay, absolutely right. He respected Saul. What else? There you go. Love for Jonathan. He also had love for Saul, right? He genuinely loved Saul. He also was going to be king of Israel. So what better way to show the people how much you care by exposing and showing your heart? So he was trying to show that outward expression as well of who he was. And then when you really think about it, he's still a human individual. He was sad for his friend, his brother, Jonathan. He loved King Saul, but he also loved Israel. And now Israel has no king on the throne. So you got to think that's like the president being eliminated. Things get shaken up. Things happen. People become concerned and they get trapped in their fear. So David genuinely had that concern. When we continued into 2 Samuel chapter 2, we see David and the war with Ishbosheth. So we're going to we saw Israel ruled by two kings, right? Two kings over the people of God. We see David was over the tribe of Judah in Hebron. But wait a minute, if he's only over one tribe, didn't God give David the promise that he would be king? Absolutely. But that's the amazing thing about God. You think you're ready for something, but when you're not, he's going to hold it back from you. And David wasn't ready for this at that time. But what we learned about David, which is great, is David had the strength, which truly it takes a lot of strength, to sit still. To sit still and be patient he knew Jerusalem would be his one day, right? Jerusalem being the capital of Israel. But we can also learn the same. We know the many promises that we find here. But are we strong enough to just sit and wait? It's very, very difficult to do that. But we eventually have to learn from God's word to rest and to eventually lean on those promises. And that comes with maturity in Christ, right? Being young and Impatient usually goes with the territory, but as you continue to grow and get closer to God, he teaches you those, that patience and that understanding because there's so much more if you were to journey with him slowly versus trying to race through it. We also get uh, an introduction to Amner. So who is Amner? Okay, but what was he? There you go. Amner was Saul's cousin. He was the commander of Saul's army for many years. And it seems that he knows that David is going to be anointed the next king of Israel. So we get this introduction of Ishbosheth. Ishbosheth is the fourth son of Saul. But wait a minute, didn't all the sons die in battle? Wasn't that their calling as their dad was going to be on the battlefield? Shouldn't they have been on the battlefield? Kind of gives you an idea as far as who this individual was. But he still was the last remaining representative of Saul, that, right? That throne. 
So he was going to be the next king of Israel. But what was interesting about Ishbosheth is the Hebrew meaning of his name is man of shame. Seems to fit him just right, right? And Amner knew that as well. So Amner pushed and made Ishbosheth king. What does every puppet master need? Puppet, right? So he was going to use Ishbosheth as that figurehead, but Amner was going to be the one pulling all the strings. Now, this went on for two years. We have David over the house of Judah, tribe of Judah, and then you have Ishbosheth reigning the rest of Israel. Now, we know, and David knew, that Ishbosheth wasn't anointed to be the next king. Saul was, and David was. But you see David again, trusting in the Lord, being patient, letting it happen. And then out of love and respect for Saul, he wasn't going to necessarily force his way into it. So we now have Amner, we have Ishbosheth. We have a better idea of where we're going. We're now going to pick it up in 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12. 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12. And we're going to see a civil war break out. All right, so now Amner, the son of Ner, and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Mahanaim to Gibeon. And Joab, the son of Zariah, and the servants of David went out and met them by the pool of Gibeon. So they sat down, one on one side of the pool, and the other on the other side of the pool. All right, so now we're going to get an introduction to Joab. Joab was the son of Zariah. So the family tree breaks down like this. First, who is Joab to David? Nephew. And what position would he hold in David's kingdom? His ruling. There you go. Commander, chief general. So you have Amner, Ishbosheth. You have Joab, David. Joab had two brothers, Abishai and Asahel. So you have Joab, Abishai, Asahel. They were all David's nephew because Zariah was David's sister. So you can see it. We have Amner. We have Joab. They're both bloody men of war. Tough as nails, right? They've been through it. Joab, in one case, was David's hatchet man, right? It goes to show how loyal Joab was to David. We know the story of Uriah and Bathsheba. Right? The Bible tells us that Uriah was one of Joab's elite soldiers. He just wasn't your, you know, just a regular soldier. He was an elite soldier. But in David's sin, he had Uriah carry the message to Joab. Joab opened it and read it and knew exactly what was to happen and still carried it out. Just a little glimpse as far as his loyalty to David. They both, Amner and Joab, were tremendous fighters, right? Elite at their level. Now, as we are, we're going to continue to read, we're going to eventually see the corrupt nature of man on display because it gets ugly quickly. We, we're going to see men are hanging around and we're going to see Amner get up and suggest some type of sport. Now, imagine this movie style, right? You have one side versus the other, the green versus the red. The two leaders are alpha males, full of pride. So... Will it necessarily go smoothly? Not, not really. And as we read, we're going to see it gets out of control. But this is that scenario. We now know who Joab and Amner are and the kingdoms that they oversee. So we're going to continue in verse 13. Then Amner said to Joab, 
Let the young men now arise and compete before us. And Joab said, Let them arise. So they rose and went over by number, twelve from Benjamin, followers of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, the twelve from the servants of David, and each one grasped his opponent by the head and thrust his sword in his opponent's side, so they fell down together. Therefore, they played, that place was called the Field of Sharp Swords, which is in Gibeon. So there was a fierce battle that day, and Amner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. So we see, you choose your best 12. You choose your best 12. I don't know what sport that was, <laughs> right? Blood sport. Yeah, yeah, there you go, a blood sport. But I've been in situations before where mutually you think it's going to go one way, and that spark just ignites itself and becomes a rage, right? Just this fiery, and this is what happens. It escalates into a mutual bloodbath, right? Where it says, they grasped his opponent's head and thrust his sword into the opponent's side. So they died there. But we still see God working. It says, David's men under the command of Joab prevailed in this fierce battle. This is where that civil war gets its beginning, and it's going to continue to grow. So let's continue in 18 through 23. Now the three sons of Zariah, right, we know as David's sister, were there. We have Joab, Abishai, and Asahel. And Asahel was as fleet of foot as a wild gazelle. So Asahel pursued Amner, and in going he did not turn to the right hand or to the left from following Amner. Then Amner looked behind him and said, Are you Asahel? And he answered, I am. And Amner said to him, Turn aside to your right hand or to your left, and lay a hold of one of the young men and take his armor for yourself. But Asahel would not turn aside from following him. So Amner said again to Asahel, turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I face your brother Joab? However, he refused to turn aside. Therefore, Amner struck him in the stomach with the blunt end of the spear, so that the spear came out of his back, and he fell down there and died on the spot. So it was that as many came to the place where Asahel fell down and died, stood still. Right? That's pretty gruesome. That's pretty tough. I mean, let's, let's dig in a little bit about Asahel because um, I want to kind of continue that. What does it say Asahel was? What was he compared to? A gazelle, right? And what is a gazelle known for? Speed, Speed fast, nimble. Um, yeah, agility. The running ability. So that's a great trait, that's a great asset to have, right? Oh, I, I'm fast. But unfortunately, what's going to happen here with that asset, it's going to become his biggest liability. Are gazelles known for strength? When's the last time on <laughs> National Geographic's you've seen a gazelle chasing a lion? Yeah, right? We chuckle at that. But it says, right, that Asahel pursued Amner, and Amner was that lion, but you have to understand, gazelles use their speed for what? Escape. Yes, running from danger, not necessarily running into it. And when you, you read this, the language used here, as far as describing not turning to your left or to your right, is frequently used when describing not deviating from the path of the Lord, one pursuing the Lord. As hard as Asahel was going, what we should pull from that is that is the walk, that is the persistence I want to have when following Christ. I'm not going to turn to the left, I'm not going to turn to the right, my target's ahead, and nothing is going to get in my way. 
and is backed by scripture. If you look at, just for notes purposes, I can read it for you. Deuteronomy chapter 5, 32 through 33. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 32 through 33. Therefore, you shall be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you that you may live and that it may be well with you and that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. So continuing in the story, we see Asahel, Asahel during that battle must have been close enough to see Amner take off, right? So Amner takes off. Asahel says, okay, now it's on. I'm, I'm chasing. So now it becomes a chase. And Asahel, if he was to catch up to Amner, what would have ultimately happened? fist fight, but what did Asahel want to do? Kill him. No, he wanted, he wanted him dead. Yeah, he wanted him dead, and I'll tell you why. He would have surely caught up to him. He would have surely killed him, but Asahel, he was so dead set and focused on it, but Amner would say, hey, lay a hold of one of the young men and take his armor for yourself, right? Amner was basically telling him, Look to your left, look to your right. You're better suited to fight those individuals. You won't be able to stand even toe-to-toe -to -toe with me. Asahel, unfortunately, he wanted the glory. His pursuit was glory. He wanted to kill the commander of Ishbosheth. That would be a great win. So he was so set on taking his army as a trophy, he ignored it. So Amner tells Asahel, kill someone else, another person, another soldier, Amner first asked Asahel to turn back out of concern for safety. He knew if he was to get close enough, there would be zero battle. But who's chasing who at this moment? Yeah, so do you really blame Asahel for thinking, hey, I'm chasing him, so he's at the disadvantage, I'm at the advantage. So he is pursuing hot, and he's not, he's not refusing to turn aside. Asahel was too single-minded in determining, in determining to kill Amner. He wanted to crush David's opposing enemies. Pick on somebody your own size. Amner kept going and telling him and turning around, someone your own skill level. Please don't make me do this. He even resor resorted to family. How then can I face your brother Joab? Right? Think about it. But Amner eventually killed Asahel in self-defense. You can't necessarily blame him because if Asahel would have caught him, it would have been the same for Amner. But unfortunately, imagine I have a rock. The lake is as clear as glass. I drop that rock, boom, the ripple effects can go on for, forever, right? In, in that type of still lake. This rock, this death right here is going to continue and create many ripples and a long civil war that will result in many deaths and bigger issues and a lot of things. But we have to realize that this becomes a warning and an, uh, an analogy. When you think of in the Old Testament, even now, the nation of Israel, they're so stubborn. They choose their own way. In 2 Kings chapter 17, verses 13 through 14, God was warning Israel. And it says he would send many prophets to warn them. But they chose to close, close their ears, become stiff-necked individuals. Stiff-necked basically means difficult to lead, right? He loved them, 
but they wouldn't listen. They were difficult. They wouldn't take the way of wisdom. Listen, how many of us husbands are, you know, heard from your mom? You have two ears, one mouth, right? God created us so that we could hear and listen and absorb and react later. That's very difficult sometimes, but <laughs> um, how about in the New Testament when Stephen was standing uh, in front of the Sanhedrin? They refused to listen to him in Acts chapter 7, verse 57. It says, then they cried out with a loud voice, right? The Sanhedrin stopped their ears. So there it is. They stopped listening and they ran at him with one accord. So this, the account of his death, right, demonstrates in this area that the vain all out pursuit of glory, right? It, it's not necessarily something that we should hold on to. Because if Asahel would have stopped and listened to the wisdom that his enemy was trying to tell him, maybe it would have ended in a different way. He would have right, met the end of a spear. But the spear has two sides. Amner was so skilled, and Asahel was running so fast that he used the opposite side of the spear and still was able to kill him, right? So that's how skilled Amner was. But if we don't necessarily understand, the message should be somewhat clear that a stubborn, a stubborn refusal to stop, to listen to godly advice, God's wisdom, will it not result in deadly consequences? Do we not read in 1 Samuel? Saul, well, even before that, Saul received a warning from Samuel, right? Gave him his judgment on, his, on him and his family. He had time to repent. But what did he do? He decided to still move on, which ended up having deadly consequences. His life, his son's life. So when you really think about it, right? Warning, warning, big flash to Israel, to anyone that stubbornly pursues their own agenda while ignoring the wisdom of God and others that God brings into your life. Be prepared to reap the consequences. If you start down a path without God, how come and what gives you the right to turn around and say, how dare you allow this to happen to me? Yet, I didn't even go before the Lord to even say, Lord, is this what you want? And that can go for marriage, job, church, kids, you name it. God doesn't say, just bring me the big things, right? Bring me the big and the small. But it's very easy for us to say, I got the small, the big, but how many times does the, the small roll into a snowball and just become bigger than what we thought it should be? So we have to understand reaping the consequences by ignoring God's wisdom, by him bringing godly people into your life, Bible studies, God's word, right? We need to be able to, to apply it where God wants us to apply it. So let's continue in verses 24 through 28. So Joab and Abishai also pursued Amner, and the sun was going down when they came to the hill of Amma, where it's before Gaia, by the road to the wilderness of Gibeon. Now the children of Benjamin gathered together behind Amner and became a unit and took their stand on top of the hill. Then Amner called to Joab and said, Shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that it will be bitter in the latter end? How long will it be then until you tell the people to return from pursuing the brethren? And Joab said, as God lives, unless you had spoken surely then by morning, all the people would have given up pursuing their brethren. So Joab blew a trumpet 
And all the people stood and stood and did not pursue Israel anymore, or did they fight anymore? So we know what Amner and Asahel were doing, right? They were going this way. Joab and Abishai were going another route. And it says they were going that route until sunset. Amner and Joab get to a certain point where they can have a conversation safely. And now we see Amner complaining, right? Is this fight going to last forever? Now, remember, who started this? Yeah. Amner, he brought his forces, right, to Judah. He suggested the competition. Now he's pulling out everything. Hey, we're brethren, right? We shouldn't be fighting anymore. Let's, let's, call, let's call a truce here, right? Judah, Israel, we should be one. The problem is Amner already knew what was coming, right? He already knew he struck one of Joab's family members. So he knew I need a little time to recoup because vengeance is definitely going to be coming my way. Some type of new attack. So he wanted that to end. So let's wrap it up here. I'm going to finish. We're going to read into a little verse one in chapter three, and then we'll end there. So let's go verse 29, and I'll continue into verse one of chapter three. Then Amner and his men went on all that night through the plain, crossed over the Jordan, and went, went through Bithron, and then came to Mahaniam. So, Rohab, so Joab returned from pursuing Amner, and when he had gathered all the people together, there were missing of David's servant 19 men and Asahel. But the servants of David had struck down of Benjamin and Amner's men, right, under Ishbosheth, 360 men who died. Then they took up Asahel, buried him in his father's tomb, which was in Bethlehem, and Joab and his men went all night. And they came to Hebron at daybreak. Now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. But David grew stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. So you can see how God is already working in favor of David. David lost 19 men, right? And Asahel for a total of 20, where Ishbosheth and Abner, they lost 360 men. And we hear ceasefire. Let's call, right? Let's call a ceasefire. And normally a ceasefire should calm things down. Things should relax and mellow itself. But it ends up making things worse. And a long war breaks out. And when you think about it, that's like us, right? We try to make peace with Jesus. But then we also try to make peace with our flesh. What's that going to result in? What type of war? A long war, right? How easy would it be to just simply surrender and submit to the reign of Jesus. We wouldn't have to have that long drawn out war, right? And the Bible tells us that David grew stronger and stronger. Again, we see God working and allowing the strength of David to increase. But the weakness of Saul's house, we would think, wow, because he was struck dead, that's when his house was going to start to become weaker. He's no longer here. But that wasn't the case. It began back in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13 through 14. What happened? When did his house start to become weak? What did God specifically do at that time? He had a blessing. What do you think happened? God removed his blessing. So naturally, right, it's going to happen. So it wasn't because Saul suddenly died that his house became weak. His house became weak because God removed himself. How important that is for us, how important that is for us to understand and grasp, right? How can we have a strong house without God's blessing? So when you really look 
at 2 Samuel chapter 2, as we wrap up, the virtue of humility, right? How big that is. But not just that, the destructiveness of pride. Pride is very tough, right? Us men, but it's true. Ignorant decisions are made because of pride. Fights, wars, issues. Pride is very destructive. It's not good in a marriage. It's not good in a friendship. It's definitely not good anywhere outside of that. It's fun to have pride controlled in certain situations, right? Proud of my family, this and that. But outside of that, it's, it's, it's an ugly emotion. But in, in chapter 2, we see the faithfulness of God's promises. The little things that kept happening. God was in it. We see David succeed. We see David fail. We see God's promise for a future king in the beginning of the chapter. And the end of the chapter says David grew stronger and stronger. So God was still working and making it happen. So when we come to communion, right, like I started in the beginning, a humble heart, the willingness to submit, and the willingness to deal with your flesh, the willingness to allow God to work with us as we mature and we grow closer and closer to God, that ability, that strength to sit still, absorb what God has given you, right? Imagine you come to a Bible study and God is serving a big old plate, right, of food. And he says, eat as much as you possibly can. And with that mindset, God, give me all that you've got. But when you take it in, we have to learn to absorb it, to apply it, to use it, and really understand what God is telling us so that we can make a difference. Because if we're going to be in Asahel and ignore everything that God has given, the consequences could be deadly, right? We're a David in that essence. As we continue, as I continue with the opportunities um, of teaching, I'll continue down the path. Because it's, it's amazing to see what else continues and what we're going to continue to see. So I will um, end in prayer here, and we're going to start with communion. Thank you, Lord, just for this opportunity, <laughs> this privilege to even stand here, Lord, and to openly deliver your word. I hope that it was um, nourishment to uh, everyone's spirit, that individuals were able to walk away with whatever you decided they needed to walk away with, Lord. We love you. We praise you. We thank you just for this quiet time, Lord, just to be amongst brothers and sisters and just to remember you, Lord. Remember everything that you've done. And we love you for this time. We ask that you heal anyone that's sick. I know it's going around, Lord, so just please heal those that are ill, protect those that are not, Lord, and just continually be with Community Chapel and our brothers and sisters out in the world. We love you, praise you, and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Community Chapel of Greenville. For more information and to find more messages like this, please visit to www.ccgreenville.org. It is our desire to see our Lord high and lifted up, and to see His people grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.